Well, good morning. I'm the other Kimball, I think. Uh, we're in our Advent series uh, uh, this uh, year. We've been looking at uh, Christmas songs out of the first two chapters of uh, Luke. And we're on the third Sunday, the, the angel song. So you've uh, noticed that uh, there are uh, lots of people having babies around here in the last little bit. Have you ever noticed that new parents can get really quite competitive when it comes to their new kids? When our oldest child was born, uh, there was another child born within two days in our church. And I thought it was just kind of natural for me to compare how we were doing compared to the other family. So after three months, lay our kid on her back, and she'd squirm. and You know when you take a cockroach and flip it over upside down? You come back a half an hour later, it's still, that's what our kid could do. Their kid, it took a bit of struggle, but flipped over onto his stomach. And I thought, whoa, are we falling behind? Like, should, should I be concerned? But when it came to feeding, I was really pretty happy. Feed our kid, nice polite little burp. Them, dealing with a tsunami. <laughs> I was glad, I, I was, I would gladly take a cockroach impression if that meant I didn't have to have my hair slicked back by a tidal wave. Nowadays, it seems that the, the competitiveness can even start earlier. Uh, there's these gender reveal parties that I've seen or heard about. Those things look like they can be pretty intense. And then, of course, there's the, the birth announcement. In our day, I phoned a few people who phoned a few people who phoned a few people until everybody knew, except there was that one uncle that nobody phoned. And you run into him three uh, months later, and you go, I didn't know you had a kid. And you took that as an opportunity to brag about your child's hidden talents. And you say, oh, yeah, we're really proud of her. She can do the cockroach. <laughs> Nowadays, got Instagram and, and Twitter or X and... Um, text messages, and everybody knows right away. Except there's that one uncle who doesn't, hasn't figured out how to use his iPhone, right? And you run into him three months later, he says, I didn't know you have a kid, and you take that opportunity to brag, and you say, yeah, our daughter rolled over last week by herself. Well, I, I kind of pushed. I, I lifted and pushed. The landing, she nailed it. It was all her. Um... Our uh, friends had a grand, new grandchild lately, and they sent out a picture you know, as the announcement. And I'm looking at the picture, and I'm thinking, I don't remember things looking like this. None of our kids were born with a little ribbon around their head. And I'm pretty sure the mom didn't say, oh, honey, my water just broke at 3 in the morning. My water just broke. Let's go to the hospital. But first I'll do my hair and put on some makeup. And I'm ready for the picture as if there was no screaming and sweating involved in this whole process. I think those pictures could be really quite competitive. Now, if you're about to have a child, and you, you're the competitive type, and you want to get out ahead of the rest, here's what you do. You hire an angel to come down your street in the middle of the night, with the bright lights and the booming voice announcing the baby's birth and then follow up with an angel choir who sings about your child. Now, I don't know how you book an angel. Maybe give the church office a call. They might figure it out for you. 
But if you were able to, uh, to arrange that, it wouldn't be the first time an angel announced a child's birth. We're going to read the passage again. I know you've heard this passage. Some of you probably have heard it read hundreds of times. But we're going to, re- we're going to focus on it this morning and ask Sharon to come and read it for us uh, one more time before we get into this is the angel's song. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Before we get into this, let's pray. Father, as we look at your word this morning, I pray that uh, you would send your spirit to speak into our hearts. We, we open ourselves to you. We want to hear from you this morning. Amen. As I said, you've heard uh, this passage many times uh, before. Uh, For this sermon, I'm drawing upon a fellow named Alistair Begg. And uh, so let's get going into this. The angel, first of all, told the shepherds who this baby was. He's the Savior. He's coming to save the world. The angel then tells them the baby's title. He is the Messiah. The king that God has been promising for centuries. This king has finally arrived. And then the angel reveals the baby's identity. He is the Lord. Now when the Hebrews uh, translated the Old Testament into Greek, the word that they used to translate God's name, God's name is not God, it's Yahweh. And the word that they used to translate the name Yahweh is the word that the angels used to describe Jesus. And so what the angel is saying is great news to all the people, great joy, for a Savior has been born. He is the king that God has been promising for centuries. He, in fact, is the Lord himself. Now, when we lived in Winnipeg, every year at Christmas time, Salome Mission is a is a, a, a place that feeds and houses and clothes uh, homeless people. And every Christmas, they, they made a big deal out of uh, a Christmas dinner. They'd get some wealthy person, a businessman, to, to pay for the dinner, and then the TV cameras would be there, and he would come and serve dinner to the, people, to the, peop- the homeless people. And everybody would say, oh, you know, this is amazing. What a wonderful and humble thing for him to do. And it, and it was. But now do you see what the angel is saying? The God who made you, 
The God who woke you up this morning, the God who has sustained you, that God in the person of Jesus has stepped down into time and made himself approachable. On the first Christmas, on the first Christmas night, and this is the heart of the Christmas story and the heart of Christian of Christianity. On that first Christmas, God took on flesh and became a human being. The voice that created the universe could be heard crying in the stable. The hands that put the stars in place reached out and grabs, grabbed Mary's fingers. Isn't that amazing? Mary's son was fully human and fully God. So unlike every other conception and birth, this was not the beginning. God the Son had always existed equal with the, the Father and the Spirit. One God and three persons, what we call the Trinity. God the Son predates his birth. He is older than his conception. John in his gospel puts it this way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Now, if you wonder where you were before you were conceived and born, the answer is you just didn't exist. You didn't exist before you were conceived and born. But that's not what happened with Jesus. Jesus did exist before he was conceived and born. What happened that night was the birth of God, the Son, as a human being. But it's not the beginning of the of the person God the Son. This is unique. Never happened before or after. It's mysterious. But Luke is saying it's historical. In other words, he's saying it really happened. Now perhaps this is where you struggle with Christianity. Maybe you're ex prepared to accept that there's this guy named Jesus who is a good teacher and maybe a good philosopher, a good religious leader. You might even be able to accept that he spoke for God. But this whole thing about him being the son of God, that Mary and Joseph held the eternal son of God in their arms, this whole thing about the virgin birth, oh, I'm not quite sure about that. Well, if your starting point is that there is no God, then the incarnation is really a moot point, isn't it? If there's no God, then he couldn't be born as a baby in Bethlehem. But if your starting point is that there is a God who created everything, or maybe there's a God who created everything, then surely he is able to enter his creation. Why would we be surprised that he can do what he wants to do? After all, in the last century or so, humankind has figured out how to bring about conception in a test tube without sex. A hundred years ago, that thought would have been considered ridiculous. But now it's common. If, if doctors can do it their way, do we really want to say that God can't do it his way? God the Son taking on human flesh is a mystery. It's a mystery that we will never fully understand. And not being able to understand it, though, doesn't mean that it didn't happen. Of course God's ways are mysterious. Of course God's, we don't understand everything God does. If we could understand everything God does, he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? No, this is a mystery. Because God is coming to earth. 
the shepherds would find the creator of the universe wrapped in strips of cloth. Here is the answer to the problems we face as, a human, as human beings. God is providing a solution for our sin problem. To our, a solution to our slavery to sin and our separation from God. God bridged the gap coming from heaven to earth. That's how much he cared about us. Now this story contains three, at least three surprises. The first surprise is the one that we've been talking about. God surprised those he, he had created by being born as one of them. The second surprise is where the Son of, Man, a son of God was born. And the third surprise is the people to whom God sent the angels. These surprises show us a little bit about what God is like. So first of all, where was the, the Christ child born? It says, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. It's not unusual to have a baby wrapped in, in strips of cloth. What is unusual is for that baby to be placed in a manger, in a food trough for animals. In human terms, the reason why Mary had her baby in a shed or quite possibly a cave used to shelter animals is really straightforward. In Rome, the emperor Caesar Augustus had ordered a census be taken, forcing Mary and Joseph to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And once they got there, there was no room for them to stay anywhere else. Augustus' name meant worthy of adoration. Now, according to an inscription that is carved into stones around 9 BC, so before Jesus was born, uh, this is called a Prian text because it was, uh, it was stones found in an ancient city of Prian who talks about Caesar Augustus. And this is what the stones say about the gospel. That's the word they use, the gospel about uh, Augustus' birth. It says, Augustus' birth gave the whole world a new aspect. The world would have fallen into ruin had not a widespread well-being shone forth through him, the one now born. Providence filled this man with virtue that he might benefit mankind, sending him as a savior for both us and our descendants. The birthday of the God was the beginning of the good tidings he brought for the world. From his birth, a new reckoning of time must begin. What, they, what Augustus has said about himself sounds very similar to what the angels are saying about Jesus, doesn't it? So Augustus was regarded by his people as a savior. He encouraged the people to worship his adoptive father, Julius Caesar, as a god. That way he could uh, claim to be the son of God. So great was his power and his impact that the inscription says that from his birth a new reckoning of time must begin. The local calendar honored Augustus by making the provincial year begin on his birthday. And so the shepherds must have been struck by how vastly different this child in the manger was from the power and majesty of the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus had so much power and authority that with a simple stroke of a pen, 
he could force tens of thousands of, of his subjects to have to travel. Mary and Joseph traveling from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's the kind of power he had. And yet here in the, in the manger lay one who is really worthy of adoration. Whose birth changes everything. Who came as Savior and who really is the Son of God. And whose birth date is the way we still recognize time 2,000, more than 2,000 years later. He wasn't born to a queen. He wasn't born in a palace. He was born to a girl in a cave, in a stable, and his cradle was a manger. The Son of God came to be just like us, to be among us, rather than to lord it over us. If you know what it's like to be poor, so does he. If you know what it feels like to be an outsider, to be an outcast, so does he. He knows what life is like. As Jesus himself put it, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. The next surprise is where the announcement was made. God did not make the announcement to Julius or to Caesar Augustus or to the rich and powerful people in the land. He made the announcement to shepherds, to people who by Roman standards were considered to be outcasts. We might expect God to want to announce this to the powerful and the rich and the people with status, the people who could do something about it. But no. In fact, in the book of Luke, we discover that again and again, God goes to the least, to the last, and to the left out ones. He works in ways that we might not anticipate. You see, he's different than we are. We might expect him to work, or if we were God, we would maybe do it differently than what he does. But he's the real God, and you and I are not him. And so that's the message of the angel. But no sooner had they finished and the shepherds maybe started getting themselves up off the ground than reinforcements appear. The Redeemer has come and the angel choir of heaven is there to announce it. The, the, the choir declares what this baby will achieve. Peace on earth. Augustus had established what is known as Pax, Pax Roma, of the peace of Rome. An empire at peace and guaranteeing safety and order. You know why the, have you ever kind of, kind of thought, why did the early Christians, why were they able to travel so easily and spread the gospel? Why, why could Paul take a large collection of money and safely take it from Corinth to, to Jerusalem? Why was he, well, it's because of Pax Aroma. Law and order was established in the Roman Empire by Caesar Augustus. But the peace of Rome was about to be dwarfed by the peace of God. Now there's a, a first century philosopher, Epictetus, who said this. While the emperor may give peace from war on land and sea, he is unable to give peace from passion, grief, and envy. He cannot give peace of heart for which man yearns for more than, than even outward peace. 
Caesar Augustus could not transform the lives of any of his subjects. He wasn't able to change their eternal destiny, their eternal future. But the angels are saying that this baby can. Here's an announcement of peace that goes deep within, that goes beyond the grave. The peace for which mankind yearns. Today our news feeds are filled with all kinds of offers about peace. Peace between husbands and wives. Peace between families. Peace between employers and employees. Peace between nations and so on. But Epictetus is still right. Peace of heart proves hard to find. No matter how well we do at trying to establish peace with each other, until we discover peace with God, we'll never discover the peace of God. And since we have separated ourselves from God, we often live independently from him, rebel against him, then this is a peace that can only be brought about by the intervention of God himself. We may try to find peace apart from God. Maybe we try to find peace by earning lots of money and being rich and famous, or we try to find peace by being really, really good and following all the rules and regulations. But the truth is the only, that only God can give us this kind of peace with himself. The angels tell us that where his, where his offer of peace was made, it's not a peace in something, it's a peace in someone. It's a peace that pursues us, that seeks us, that knocks on the door of our lives. But it's a peace that lots of us, many people miss out on because they fail to make room for the one who brings that peace. Remember why Jesus was lying in a manger in the first place? Why is the God of heaven in a feeding trough? Because there was no room for him anywhere else. No one had made room for him. He created the whole, in, the whole universe, and then when he came into his, into his universe, there wasn't a place for him. Now let's be honest. At times we struggle to make room for God in our lives. Our lives get busy, running here and there, and, oh man, we don't have time for or Or we get hurt upset, offended by God, and uh, put him on a shelf somewhere. But our response doesn't change the truth. God has visited this world. He has come as one of us to bring peace to us by redeeming us from our sins. Have you made room for him in your life? Can you make room for him in your life? Do you need to experience the peace that only he can bring? Jesus came to bring you peace, but you have to receive it. I'm going to conclude the, the sermon with an illustration, and I've got Rourke who's going to come and help me out up here. And the way this is going to work, you're going to, I'm going to just ask you some questions. We're going to visit and ask you some questions, and these guys are going to just listen in on you. Is that all right? Are you good with holding the mic? Yes. Yeah, good. So, have you preached a bunch of sermons before? Um, no. The, is this your first sermon? Yes. How do you think you're doing? Good. Good, yeah, well, you know how I tell? Look out there. 
can you see anybody sleeping? No. No. Uh, there's one guy there, uh, eyes closed, mouth open, but I think he's praying. I, I could have used you up here about 10 minutes ago, man. Okay, you ready to get on with the sermon? Yes. Good. What have I got here? Five dollars. $5. You know what? I want to give this to you. And when I give it to you, you can take it home with you. You can do with it whatever you want. Okay? Okay. Okay, now, do you believe me that I'm going to give it to you? Yes. Good answer. <laughs> but all that promising, like I promised you, all that promising and believing hasn't gotten you anything yet, has it? Yeah. Yeah, no, you, I still got it. You don't. And some of us here today, some of these adults, yeah. they, they know God's promise you know, like, to save them, right? God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting. God promises to save us, right? Yeah. And they believe. They believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he lived a perfect life, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, went back to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit. Believe all of that. But just like you, they don't got it yet. Now, what do you think you have to do to get this? What, how is that going to work? Um, maybe, like, they'll make all... How about if you just reach out and grab it? Oh! <laughs> Now it's yours. Thanks. You want to wake people up here? Two things. Get a kid up front. Bring out money. Everybody's always awake. But just like, I, like what I was saying, some of us here might know God's promise. And we might believe and people talk about believing with our heads. We need to move that belief that 18 inches down to our hearts. And how do we do that? In Rourke's case, it involved reaching out and just grabbing the money. How do we do that? And I used to talk about you know, praying a prayer. Now, some of you have heard of the, the sinner's prayer. But I'm afraid that sometimes that thing has been manipulated and misused. So I like to talk about attitudes. Where we move that believing from just something that we ascribe to with our brains to something we're committed to in our hearts. And the attitude is way more important than the, the words of the prayer. And most often, uh, the attitude is going to be expressed in a prayer. But the, the important thing is the attitude. And what's the attitude that I'm talking about? Well, there's a number of things. First of all, it says, God, I know that I can't save myself. In fact... Even if I am the most holy dude around and I obey all the rules and regulations, that's not saving me because I'm living apart from you. And I'm just showing everybody how good I can be. So my first attitude is I can't, I can't save myself. The second attitude is God, I want to have that kind of relationship with you that I can hear you, I can understand you. And when you talk to me, and by the way, God's going to talk to me when I read the Bible, when I pray, when I hang around with other Christians, like coming to church. But God, when you talk to me, 
I'm going to be quick to agree with you about who I am and what I do. And God, when we, like, did you know the word confess simply means to agree? Agree with God about what he says about himself, that he's God and I'm not. What he says about me and that, that is that uh, I tend to wander away from him. I tend to do things that I'm not supposed to do. I tend to sin. And I agree with God about my behavior. And so I, my attitude is gone. I want the kind of relationship where I can hear you speak to me about these kind of things. And when I hear, I'm going to be quick to agree with you about who you are, about who I am, and about what I've been doing. And I'm going to change. With your help, I'm going to change. And the third part of the attitude is, God, I want that kind of relationship where I can hear you. And when you talk to me about stuff that I'm not doing, that I should be doing, I'm going to be quick to obey and follow and start doing the stuff that you're talking to me about. And the final part of the attitude is, God, I can't do this by myself. I need you to send your spirit to live inside me. Because as soon as I live separately from you, I screw this whole thing up. I need you. So I want to conclude by talking to three groups of people here. The first group is, you might say, well, Russ, you know, that sounds so familiar. I, I used to have that kind of attitude. But I kind of lost touch with God. I don't hear him anymore. I don't, I haven't agreed with God about much of anything for a long time. The word for us on that one is we need to repent. Repent's just a farming term. Uh, when you're plowing with your ox and you get to the edge of the field, you turn your ox and plow around, you go back the other direction. That's what repent means. I've got to repent with my attitude and my behavior. The second group of people is people who say, well, you know, Russ, I've never had that kind of, that kind of attitude, that kind of relationship with God. And I want that kind of relationship. Uh, the word for you is receive. Receive. Reach out and take hold. Receive what God has for you. And the third group of people is those who say, oh, yeah, I'm not convinced about this Jesus being God thing yet. Virgin birth, that sounds a little too sketchy for me. The word for you is, is seek. Just ask the Holy Spirit to teach you what's true. That if, if, in fact, there really is a God and that he really does love you and that he really did die in your place, just ask the Holy Spirit to show you. Now, I'm going to end with a prayer. And as I said before, the attitude is way more important than the prayer. But sometimes we express our attitudes in prayer. And so if any part of this prayer seems right for where you're at today and you want to do something about it, just say yes in your heart to it. And then if you do that, tell somebody about it. Afterwards, some of us are going to be up front here. If you want somebody to talk to or pray about, uh, with you, uh, we're here. 
But uh, let, me, let me pray, and then we'll uh, sing a song. Oh, Father, I thank you that you sent Jesus, that king that you'd been promising for hundreds and hundreds of years, you sent him to save us, to be what we couldn't be. And so I thank you that you sent Jesus. We want that kind of relationship with you where we can hear you, where we can have peace, where we can find that, that peace of heart, where we can listen to you and we can be quick to obey you, quick to agree with you. And so send your spirit to change us, to draw us back, in some cases for some of us, to draw us back to where we used to be. For others of us to draw us into a new relationship where we've never been before. And for some of us to help us understand if in fact the Bible is really true and if you really exist and if Jesus is really the Messiah. Father, we want you to work in our lives. We need you. And so we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.